sitting in a very unprecedented location in Ibiza uh, in, for today's podcast. And um, as always, we are accompanied by the beautiful sounds of nature in the background of uh, the birds tweeting. Um, we are actually sitting on the floor in the forest, um, actually in the woods near Cancaruno, which is in the north of the island. And um, this just happens to be the rather random meeting point and suggestion of today's lovely guest, which is, of course, Mel- Melchior Arnold. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, Joe. Or is it good afternoon? Ibiza style, it's any time of day, never really seems to uh, throw too much of a spanner in the works. No, I think it's good noon right now. It's, it would probably be the perfect time with the sun in the high in the sky and nice and warm. It is. It's beautiful June weather. It's definitely warming up and um, yeah, in all ways really. And it's just really lovely to have you here on today's show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. And um, so today's show is a little bit left of centre perhaps because um, in true Reset Rebel style um, you are a mashup really of, of many different skills and styles of uh, kind of uh, resetting people. So first up let's sort of talk about your um, history and connection to Ibiza. So how did you sort of uh, end up here? Okay well my mother is French from Paris and my father is American from New York but uh, my mother would spend summers in Mallorca in a little town called Deia with these bohemian writers and my grandfather was also a writer and they would have parties down in Deia. Then she went traveling, met my father in America, traveled to India overland and then along the way I was conceived in Afghanistan and uh, they both got sick so made their way back home um, and then they met up again in San Francisco where I was born. So I'm a hippie kid. Um, I've struggled with that label for a long time in my life, trying to figure out what does hippie mean. Um, so I had talked to some of these old hippies, although they would never say old and they would never say hippie, but <laughs> basically it just means surviving. It just means um, finding a, a way to be resilient um, and reinventing yourself. So Reset Rebel is, is a fantastic uh, uh, <laughs> connection there. Um, I came here when I was two because uh, it started to be the hip place between the hippies. And of course, my mother already knew it, um, but she found out about it in a little place called Aldea Hippie Arambepe in Salvador de Bahia in Brazil. And she met an American guy called Blind George, who's also a legend of the, of the hippie community. And, uh, and together they came here, along with my aunt, Chantal, um, who lives in the woods just down the road, <laughs> um, and, uh, and their friend Noel, who they met in Israel in the kibbutz. Oh, this is getting really random here, I see. <laughs> so these three French girls traveled from San Francisco all the way to Brazil overland with two little boys. I was one of those little boys, um, one year old. And then finally we came back to Europe and we ended up here, first in Formentera and then here in San Juan in the north. And the three French girls started having three-day parties. So uh, I grew up in the parties. Um, I had long blonde hair and uh, my mother would dye it with henna so it would uh, strengthen. Um, if you see me now, of course, I don't have any hair, but <laughs> I lost it along the way. Um, I grew up in chaos and... It was kind of like a slightly disorganized, organized chaos. Um, a lot of parties, a lot of uh, Ibiza during the 70s. Um, and then uh, my mother heard about uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, or now known as Osho, 
and went to Pune and decided that that was a good idea. We got there. He wasn't there, so it didn't happen. And we came back here. But then my brother was born here just up the road in the house. Um, two years later, we did go back to India and we lived there for three years. So I'm also a Goa hippie kid um, as well as an Ibiza hippie kid. After three years there, um, we came back here and uh, I stayed till I was 17 and then went to America to live with my father and get an education. My mother actually wanted to send me to military school for some reason. She thought I needed some discipline. but I can't think why, Malkio. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, actually, I've always been, in a way, quite disciplined. Even though I had total freedom here, I never had anyone... That, well, of course, there were no mobile phones, but I never had anyone controlling me when I came back home, um, w- how long I could stay out, what I did. There was, there was none of that. Um, my sister, she's three years younger. She did have that. She had to be home at a certain time, but I had total freedom. But... Mm, even so, I had, even though I had all of that freedom, I would still come home every night. I like to come home. I like to have my room, my bed, my base, my, my stability. Um, that helped me, that discipline helped me to become a, a professional soccer player, football player, because uh, that's what, what gave me that stability. It was like chaos over here, never knowing what's going to happen, if there was going to be food on the table. There normally was, but it was like brown rice and salad, so it wasn't really the best food for me to grow up and be a strong, strapping lad. But uh, when I went to America, it was like, there was no question about it. I trained every day, I played every day, and, uh, and I made my way that way. That was kind of my saving grace. It kept me away from drugs, it kept me away from too much nightlife, it kept me away from, from all kinds of other things that uh, we were exposed to here uh, on a very, very simple daily basis, you know, everywhere. I think that's quite unusual for a football player to sort of stay away from drugs and partying from what I've witnessed reading uh, the English tabloids anyway. Um, well, I granted a lot of times we'd go out together after the after the game, um, but normally that's because we have so much adrenaline and you can't sleep anyway, so we'd go out and, and have a few drinks. Um, other stuff that I don't know that was not my it was not my scene. So I just uh, I just enjoyed the game, enjoyed everything about it, and I enjoyed feeling good. So even now um, I don't go out so much, and if I do, I'll have a few glasses of beer or wine, and that's it. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's probably how we've connected, really. Yeah, uh, recently, more recently, as we've got to know each other, um, more recently at the polo, in fact, um, serving giggle water, uh, our very lovely friend's new uh, brand of. Uh, Prosecco in a can, which is uh, delicious and delightful, and also sending canapes to the polo players, which is how we sort of decided to have a little chat about um, your journey, really, I guess, into in becoming a kind of a reset rebel, so to speak. I mean, obviously, you've been a, a professional football player, but like, you know, you have all of these other wonderful strings to your bow, which we're going to talk about. But um, I guess a lot of people on the island connect to you through your kind of role as one of the founding members of Nagai, uh, one of the most amazing kind of Asian fusion restaurants on the island. So how did that come about? Well, thank you for the amazing part. Uh, I enjoy it. I eat there every every night <laughs> except for Sundays because we're closed. <laughs> but Is that to get over the brown rice and salad uh, regime? <laughs> it's funny because we have a lot of rice and seaweed, so it kind of and I do eat a lot of veggies <laughs> there. Um, basically, when Facebook first came out, they had these little like top ten things that you were favorite your top ten favorite things, and I just top ten foods were sushi. Uh, Thai and Mexican food that was kind of like my top three Um, and then I realized that ever since I went to San Francisco I started to go to eat sushi and all you can eat sushi Um, I also worked as a a football coach in South Korea so uh, and I lived in India so for me 
I love Thai food. All of this food, I really enjoy it. So I have a bucket list about mm, 300 odd things on it. And I've done more than 200 of them already. And one of those was to have restaurants, bar, place where I could, you know, hang out with my friends. Um, so when I met uh, Eleonora and Reina, who uh, already had had three restaurants of this style, I was like, wow, this is kind of like, uh, in a way, winning the lottery because they had the know-how. And then I had the connections and the, the um, let's say, network here on Ibiza to make it a reality, even though we started out without, uh, without, having, without really having any money or enough money. <laughs> but uh, it all kind of flowed naturally in, in a very Ibiza way um, with some of my friends uh, helping out. Um, the engineer saying, oh, you don't need me. Just do it like this and you'll go and get it directly. It will cost you only about 80 euros instead of 800. So just little things like that. We did all the painting ourselves as much of the carpentry work as we could between us. Um, so it was a real team effort. So uh, so from going from football or being a traveler alone, because just before opening Nagai, before I met Eleonora, I had spent three months uh, traveling through Africa, visiting orphanages and donating footballs for the 2010 World Cup. So I came back like uh, in a totally different state. And this was a really good grounding experience. And the problem with Ibiza is to find something to do in the wintertime. In the summer, is kind of try to find a way to relax and rest and do actually go to the beach and, and disconnect and reset. But in the in the winter, it's the opposite. It's, you have to kind of like, oh, how, what do I do now? How do I not get bored? How do I not feel isolated? Um, so by having a project that, that enabled us to, uh, to stay here the winters, and even so, it's tough with the restaurant in the winter. Uh, you know, in November, we hardly get any clients. <laughs> so it's kind of, mm, maybe that's not such a great idea. And January and February, we always close because we tried to stay open one year and it was just, just a no-go. Because so. everyone just uh, buggers off to the warmer climates. Well, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I also like to go to Goa or to Thailand or to Japan to visit uh, sake breweries uh, in the freezing snow. It's, it's, uh, it's a finding a way to live on Ibiza. Somebody asked me, what is your profession? And I jokingly said, my profession is to live on Ibiza. Well, it's kind of like a lifelong uh, career that you have to carve out. And, you know, we were making a joke earlier about being like an adaptogen, but that's basically, you know, you need to be able to kind of fit into a lot of different crevices in lots of different formats to be able to make it work here. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You'll always end up tinkering with a few other little bits on the side to kind of keep the uh, the motor churning, so to speak. Well, exactly, because a lot of the things that are your main career in your country in your place of, of birth or where you grew up um, you come to Ibiza and that doesn't exist here and it can't exist somehow you know so as an ex-football player or, and as a football coach with diplomas I came here I was like Mm-mm, I'm gonna starve if I keep on doing this because it's very limited here um, and the time it takes to set something up and the lack of commitment and stuff like that is quite it's quite large so in the end you kind of see okay I've got my fishing rod here um, and I've got a few hooks on it. So where's the river? Where are the fish? You know, I'm not going to be fishing in the little stream and kind of say, oops, I'm not going to be eating sardines every day, right? You have to find a way to create something. So so coming back to Ibiza, I came back in 2009 after a round-the-world trip, basically penniless, and kind of said, hmm, scratching my head, and what am I going to do now? And I was already, I had, you know, I was a life coach with certification. I was already a kinesiologist. When I last lived in Switzerland, I had been part of a studio doing kinesiology and treatments and chakra balancing and all of that. 
but it's very different in Switzerland because people, you know, they keep to their timetables. They arrive at six o'clock. They arrive at quarter to six. You know, that's that's, uh, and they're there, and you can get paid by the insurance company, um, health insurance companies. So it's it's much more standardized and and secure. You know, can be a little bit boring sometimes, but um, and on Ibiza, it's kind of like you know. I've worked doing massages. I've worked doing uh, painting, uh, chauffeuring, uh, production assistant, concierge. Uh, even now, sometimes I work as a simultaneous translator in the big conferences. Or when we saw each other one of these days, uh, I had just interviewed Robert De Niro for the television. I was the translator. Um, so Ibiza is full of fun things like that in the summer. And, and then sometimes uh, it's very relaxing and you just... Uh, have a nice chat in the woods like this. Well, what is it that kind of brings you back here? Or what is it that brought you back here and, and kind of, you know, what do you think it is about this island that kind of makes people come here and be willing to transform and be willing to reinvent themselves? Because, you know, when when perhaps you come here with a plan, uh, I mean, nothing really goes according to plan in Ibiza. It's just one of those places. And I always say expect the unexpected when you're here because... You honestly, like n- like nowhere else I've ever lived on the planet, I mean, things change all the time. And, you know, like you said, people are perhaps less committed here. There's a more transient sort of form of, uh, of living and traffic and nothing is guaranteed. There are no kind of real rules and regulations. It's a pirate island. So what, what is that? You know, what's the attraction of that? Well, for me, whenever I was anywhere in the world and I've lived in quite a few countries, it was... Whenever anything was going to be like really bad, like, excuse me, when the shit hits the fan, <laughs> I always knew deep within me that I could come back to Ibiza and something would happen miraculously. I would make a connection, meet somebody, be offered a job or just get an idea and it would just go and And uh, for me, this island it has a certain alchemical quality to it. So totally random people, thoughts, ideas get together and something new becomes reality. Um, and then there's the traditional service-oriented things that will work during those three, four summer months where it's uh, run as much as you can because in the winter uh, there's nobody there to, to serve. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, that's not an easy thing for some people. I think you've got to be a certain kind of person to make that happen because a lot of people come here and it doesn't quite pan out the way they expected and they throw in the towel and they leave or, you know, it's one of those places that, you know, is a little bit like Marmite. I think you either love it or you hate it. And... A lot of people do walk away from that because it just is quite difficult sometimes for certain types of people. Well, yeah, I totally agree. And the thing is that you have to be careful what you wish for because when you're living in Leeds or you're living in Paris or you're living in uh, Milan and you're fed up of the grayness and of the structuredness and of the race, the rat race, the hamster wheel, whatever you want to call it, and you oh, I just want to be free. Oh, when I go to Ibiza, I feel so great. I'm so relaxed. Everything is so beautiful. It's nice. Yes, that's great. But when you wish for that, you also have to remember that nature is made out of balance. So you still have to be able to pay your rent and have your finances sorted in order to be able to take your flights of fancy and your spiritual retreats and voyages and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, in order to live that lifestyle, either you do retreats yourself or you create them and you become a business. So you still have to bring that business mind somehow here because Ibiza is part of Europe, you know, and and it gets more expensive and more expensive. And the amount of time that you have 
to earn that money to pay for the whole year is literally three or four months. So you have to do four times as much or three times as much in order to, to last the whole year. So a lot of people, they, they um, eliminate a lot of their perks and, and things that they get accustomed to in other places. But that also uh, bashes your ego a little bit because we're all in this kind of, you know, see and be seen in a way. And, and Ibiza is full of beautiful people. So you, you also kind of like, you know, the car becomes maybe less important. The house becomes a bit less important. But the body, the clothes, the going out, the, the, the being seen, the, the, the relationships, everything takes on a whole different quality here. You know, it's, it's a totally different social clique. You're always meeting new people and you're always changing groups, you know. Mm. Um, and yes, you see some of the same people ar- around the, let's say, circuit, if, there were, if we could call it that. But you're always meeting new people and it's, uh, it's refreshing, it's exciting, but it's also stressful. I think stressful and also quite, if you'll forgive me, wanky. I mean, some people can actually look at that clique thing and that being seen thing and that ego thing and it just like turns them off. But there are sort of two sides of the island. But even in like the spiritual world, there are still cliques that um, I think it started raining. <laughs> Beautiful. The Either that would say. We need a bit of cooling off. Um, yeah, I mean. I think that turns a lot of people off of coming here and um, spending more time here than perhaps maybe one season. They get into that kind of like vibe of, yeah, being observed, I think. And uh, perhaps it just doesn't suit some people to be so body conscious and so kind of on display and kind of needing to go to the opening of an envelope sometimes to, to feel cool, to still feel like you're in that circuit. And I think, again, it's like an acquired taste. Absolutely, I agree with that. And and there, because there are so many different nationalities, you're always bumping into people and you have no clue what, let's say, background they have, social status or whatever like that. So so it can be unsettling because you don't know where the bearings are, where, where the borders are. But at the same time, it really boils back down to you. You know, what, what if I go out to some place and, uh, you know, I bumped into you twice, but then I never see you uh, in other places because I'm in different places or I don't go. Um, it, it really is what, what, what is happening with you do you really want to do that or um, wh- how do you feel when you see somebody that you like in a place and, and, it's, and there's a nice vibe and there's some giggle water and you can you know, giggle a little bit it just feels nice it's, it's part of life you know? so if we make it too important about the outside then you, of course you forget, you forget your base you forget your center but if you enjoy going to the beach then Go to the beach that you like. And if you enjoy swimming naked, then find a place where you can swim naked and not feel self-conscious, not feel stared at. And you can find them on this island. There is something for everyone. That's very true. And um, I think perhaps what I've noticed most is just that you need to be very clear on what it is that you do want. Because every time there's endless opportunities that will come your way and... You know, you can just latch on to a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And like you said, you just get a little bit destabilized and debased and debunked. And, you know, you could just literally be kind of catapulted into the stratosphere sometimes with that kind of feeling of like anything is possible, which we're kind of, you know, shown uh, a lot of the time in this life, the way it is now with digital technology that, you know, we can basically recreate ourselves into anything. And that is that sense of opportunism here that brings, you know, people that kind of, 
maybe blag blag themselves into being something that perhaps they're not necessarily uh, what they say on the tin, so to speak. Um, and that's also another fascinating part of being here um, and, and cracks me up, actually, endlessly when I kind of witness, you know, people kind of, um, you know, telling people that they are a certain way inclined and, and perhaps they haven't got the credentials to actually pull that off. So that's that's something that does make me laugh. You must have experienced that yourself. Well, yes, <laughs> the, the, um, it's very easy and and I can look at it both ways, you know. If you if you do one yoga teacher training class and you start teaching yoga, well, that is what you're supposed to be doing. But you're not a super teacher yet, so you're on your way to becoming a teacher. Um, if you do, uh, you know, one week massage class and you're a professional certified ma- masseur, yes, on paper it's true. In reality, you're going to be going that way. So there's a little bit of that difference there. So the credentials, like you mentioned, um, credentials come with paperwork, with passing tests, but they also come with experience, with on-the-field work. Um, You know, when you listen to coaches and marketing and all of this, and and you have to filter through the noise and see where is the truth. But if you tell the truth on yourself, as you, a lot of people will think, well, because everyone else is blagging it up, you know, or building it up, that is, okay, well, that's not enough kind of thing. So then there's always, like, self-worth issues and not believing what the other person says or does. So in the end, the best thing is to just work on word-of-mouth recommendation. You know, you go to somebody that somebody that you trust has told you that person works, that person gets results, that person will help you. Um, Another thing that you were saying before is you can be catapulted out into the stratosphere but here on Ibiza, as in other places, there is the spiritual line. And wherever there's a lot of light, right next to it, there's a lot of dark. Okay? And when you open yourself up with rituals, with uh, medicine, plant medicine, and all of stuff, you open up the doors to other energies as well. So both positive and negative. And that, I think, is something that people have to should really be aware of um, and normal good medicine doctors let's say um, they should protect you from that or at least clear them if they do appear um, so I don't want to talk about you know aliens and uh, black magic and entities but uh, I, I, I've, I've, yeah I think there's a lot of juxtaposition of the light and dark here more than anywhere else that I've ever experienced but I think you know as we've just talked about this kind of sense of being able to pop up as pretty much anything here if you really the fancy takes you um I think that also leads to when you do get debased it to turn to alternative healing therapies to maybe like fix yourself if it hasn't gone according to plan there's a lot of people suffering depression in the winter and you know things can crop up that you perhaps didn't expect here and that does often result in people turning to you know these plant medicines that you refer to and 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 that they're again are also people kind of sharing those medicines that perhaps aren't qualified to uh from from what i've heard and seen um and i also think that's another fascinating side to the island because also you know that can also as you said open doors to places that perhaps you don't want to go so there is this real washing machine cycle of stuff that can come up if you're not really a bit clued up about you know who to go to or where to go to for healing absolutely um i i don't know about the qualifications about uh, medicine and stuff like that because 
honestly, for me, it's something that I that I respect and I let people do it. Um, it's not something for me. For me, I I have other ways of 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 going into uh, astral travel, um, and you know I, that interests me. Yeah, deep meditation or or time travel. It's something that's quite exciting and fun and 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 really full of light. Um, again, to find somebody that can help you. For me, the best way is really to to somebody that you know that that uh, that you trust that recommends somebody to you directly. I think that's the that's the best way. And then you come back to that kind of like tribal nature and and being close knit and protecting and helping each other out. You know, and a lot of I, I give a lot of uh, therapies and, and sessions in exchange or for free because. I think that if I can help somebody get out of a depression or, or get out of a confused state and they don't have any money right now, they will later. They will. It's not about money. It's about exchange. It's about thank you. It's about gratitude. It's about giving something back afterwards. You know, if somebody is, is, a, is a musician or whatever and they don't have much money now, that's okay. They are making music. You know, in, in the Prophet of Khalil Gibran, it says, you work in the day, you toil the fields. But when you come home tired, you need some music to, to refresh your soul. So the people that are making that music, they should also be uh, compensated uh, respectively. So, so it's, it's something in its way. It's like, wow, if you make nice music and I can make you make nicer music because I'll get your headache <laughs> gone, then just give me some of your music and we'll share. We're, we're, we're fair. It's done, you know. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of... Uh, all of these format and uh, professional and official and psychiatrists and psychologists and stuff like that, a lot of times you really have to double check what are the results, what are the, the lasting results, how are the people doing, you know, and how did people get into a state of depression? What was it that was missing? Was it a hug? Was it stability? Was it having enough money to pay the rent? Because sometimes those are the things that are causing the most stress, you know, so sometimes they need help with that, you know, or they need to come back down to the ground and be a bit more realistic because life follows nature you know we can't be a tree but trying to be floating up in the air you know we have to have roots and grounded so <laughs> we've kind of gone yeah off on a right a whirlwind which has been very fun so far um but you know what when did you you know become well okay first up like what what are your kind of like major reset tools here what what are your go-to kind of um techniques i guess when you feel a bit ungrounded here or you're kind of spiraling off spiraling off into one of those areas that we've just talked about i come back to the north i go into nature i go to a beach if, if i can find a secluded area I'll, I'll sunbathe and swim naked so i just feel really connected back to all the elements um i will you have got a very nice suntan i have to say <laughs> i didn't know it was an all-over tan <laughs> I'm not going to show you. <laughs> We've got to have a little bit of fun on this podcast. I mean, for God's sake, we're in the middle of the woods. It's raining. <laughs> what else did you bring me here for? <laughs> okay, turn off the radio. <laughs> um, but also just, just uh, checking with myself to see if I'm hydrated or pulling some tarot cards, um, uh, spending some time alone, uh, writing, you know, my, my little diary, um, I have lots of tools to reset. Uh, I have little energy exercises that I, that I learned from kinesiology or from uh, energy medicine courses that I've taken. Uh, my meditation. Um, 
oh, there are lots of things to reset, you know. And sometimes it might be go out and, you know, have a few drinks and get drunk and the next day feel all hungover, but laughing because I had a great laugh, you know. Um, friends, yeah, swimming, yeah, just life on Ibiza offers a lot of uh, ways to reset you know right now we're sitting in the woods and this is a place where I've been here many many times as a child growing up and even one time I didn't go to school I, I, uh, I missed the bus so I thought oh, I can't go home now because I'll get in trouble but I can't hang around here because everybody knows that I missed school so I spent the whole day in the woods you know and actually I thought okay I saw one bus go by so okay I, now I can come out now and I arrived too soon for my bus so I said, oh you didn't go to school today so I was caught anyway <laughs> Uh, yeah, I got caught bunking off school as well. So <laughs> that's one of those rebellious little things that you do, isn't it, when you're a teenager? Like, there's got to be something better to do than sitting in that classroom, that's for sure. Well, I, I enjoyed school, actually, and, and I enjoy learning. I really enjoy learning. Um, whenever I go someplace, I try and figure out how to speak the language there and, and how to communicate, at least say hello and thank you, you know, and, and please. That's the first thing that I learned. At one point when I was traveling around the world, I ended up in, uh, in San Francisco, and it was my friend's little boy. He was, uh, I guess, 10 years old at the time, or maybe, no, maybe 8 years old. And I said hello and thank you to him and goodbye in 16 languages. And he was just blown away, you know. It was, uh, I don't remember them now, but at the time they were fresh in my mind because I'd just been to th- so many countries, you know. Mm. So you do, you've done a bit of translation work recently with uh, Robert De Niro, I remember you <laughs> mentioning earlier, because I was at the Nobu opening of the big hotel there in Talamanca. And um, I had no idea, actually, that he was part of the kind of the team there. And I thought Nobu was actually just a restaurant until last year when that place opened. So it was kind of fascinating. Um, That's the only real reason that I went was obviously to catch a glimpse of Robert, the godfather, the absolute don uh, of the movie industry. And it was kind of like epic, really, to to think that he might arrive there. I didn't actually believe it was, you know, possible or going to happen. And there he was. Blow me. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, well, uh, it's funny when you see somebody like that you know so well, but you don't know him. You just know his movies. You know him as an actor. Um, and, you know, being there, waiting for the interviews, I spent in the end, I spent about two hours, uh, you know, in close quarters with him. Um, he's a funny guy. And, and every, you know, facial movement, every tick, every hand movement, you know, you, you, you know the guy, <laughs> you know. Um, and so it was, it was fun. It was, it was a fun experience. But this is one of those things... When I came back to Ibiza in 2009, there was an ad for translating services in the, in the paper. And I went and I applied. And they were paying nine euros an hour, you know. And I told some other people, hey, they're still looking for the translators. at nine euros an hour, oh, that's too little. Um, and, and I said, well, I've got nothing else to do. It was kind of springtime or, or fall time, so whenever they... So I started doing, like, translations at the court, you know. And, like... Sometimes I'd be like there for three hours in the end. I said, oh man, I just made, you know, 30 euros. It doesn't really make much sense. But thanks to that, they started to say, hey, but you're pretty good at this. Would you mind coming and have you ever done simultaneous translation with the headphones on? And I said, no, but I'll give it a shot. So the owner of the, of the agency, she said, come, we have to do one from French to Spanish and you'll sit in with me because we need to be two. Um, and I was quite nervous because French to Spanish, you know, uh, Spanish, I, I can I can handle French, even though it's my mother's language, is the one that I speak the least because I never use it, you know. And I studied it in school. And I've never lived in France, but so I was there. And before we began, she said, "Look, if you can get sixty, seventy percent of what's being said, and you can say it, that's really good. 
If you can get 80%, that's extraordinary. So she took the pressure off right away. So, so that after that first time, now every time they have a conference, they call me. And I do from into different languages. I mean, it's, at the end, I come out and my brain is split in two because it's like, you know, English is coming in one ear or in ears and, and Spanish or Italian is coming out of the mouth. So it's kind of like you just get into a flow. But that started thanks to accepting a demeaning, badly paid job to become something that, you know, in the end, I ended up for t national television interviewing, mm -hmm. translating for Robert De Niro, you know, and Noble. So it was... Uh, it's something that on Ibiza, a lot of times, I do something just for the heck of it. I, I learned in a, in a coaching school to somehow say yes more than no in my life. And that opens a lot of doors. Because when you say no, you keep what you've got. But when you say yes, somehow it opens it to possibility. And sometimes it can be wrong. Sometimes it can be, but you've learned it. And you haven't left that, mm, what would have happened if I had said yes? Mm. So um, it doesn't mean I say yes to everything, but it... Uh, Stop looking not at me what like I've that. heard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I really love that um, that speech by Steve Jobs actually, and just listening to what you were saying there always reminds me, and and I, you know, it just comes up for me a lot about how you can't kind of see how the dots are going to join up looking looking forward, um, and obviously, like you just said, when you say yes to something, you've absolutely no idea where it's going to lead you, and in your head, perhaps it's going nowhere, and it's like, why the hell am I doing this? But, you know, obviously when you look back and you can see all of those wonderful little connections and little pieces that, you know, bring you into a place where you just absolutely had no expectation or anticipation of those things that could be even possible. And, I, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing when he was saying about doing the topography course and he had no idea why he was doing it. But, of course, then he invented the Macintosh with all these amazing different fonts. And, you know, that's just... That is amazing, the way life can do that. But I think Ibiza is definitely one of those places where you can be plunged into doing something you really had no idea that you were a, any good at or could ever end up doing in a month of Sundays. Well, I think Ibiza is, as you say, a reset rebel uh, land, but it, it is totally a place of constant renewal and renovation and reinvention. And that is also one of the keys to life. You know, I think that humankind was not made to work in a factory or in an office. I think before, everyone sort of like did what their um, gremium was, no? the, the smiths or, or the, the whatever, the jewelers had their street. You know, you kind of like would do the same thing, um, the sailors. So, so everyone was kind of like in a way their own boss, you know, and I think that's kind of what, what should happen in a way or at least every um, community should have all of their needs catered for. So if you come into a town and... There are three pharmacies. Well, you're not going to open a fourth pharmacy, but you might open a health food store, you know? So just kind of like seeing what's missing. And on Ibiza, it's one thing that there are a lot of things missing here, and then there are some things that will never work here. So it's kind of to, to surf that and, and see how that can happen. Mm. It's, it's exciting. I, th I think Ibiza keeps people young. I think it does, because you're always on your little tippy toes pirouetting around in circles never knowing what's coming next so yeah you have to stay you have to stay young at heart and young in your your optimistic outlook i think to to yeah regain those opportunities as they pop up and actually notice that they're there as well and i don't think you can do that when your mindset prematurely ages in a way that you know can happen when you get a little bit set in your ways and you're kind of a little bit too much a, 
in a in a rhythm of life as you can be more in other countries where you're office jobbing or you know doing the more kind of traditional roles I think that that just doesn't necessarily happen here quite so easily because as we've just discussed all these wonderful things can can come your way so obviously you're you know We've, we, we know you as the face and, of Nagai and, and someone that obviously works up. That's how I've met you. But like what, you know, you do some other wonderful um, healing techniques and therapies. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about those before we get rained on anymore, because literally we're <laughs> being pelted here. As you might be able to hear on the microphone. I have no idea. But we are actually seriously um, taking one for the team, so to speak. <laughs> um, well, I was uh, my mother's an astrologer and a tarot card reader. Um, as well as a belly dancer. So she's a hippie. She's, she's been an artist her whole life. My grandmother is a theater actress in, in Paris uh, from Corsica, and my grandfather was a writer. My father, he was a musician, uh, a teacher of comparative religion, an artist. Um, now he, uh, he grows medical marijuana in Northern California. So um, I am a product of my parents, uh, I must say, and of the society. So when I was uh, 14, I got my first uh, numerology book, for example, and my tarot cards, my animal cards. Um, I think we might have to stop this. Huh? <laughs> I have to take a little, a little reset. It's absolutely pissing down. So here we are, sheltered under a little porch, uh, just round the back of where we were previously sitting, um, squatting in nature. But we are, yeah, just standing here on the on the concrete, and um, it's good to be back. It's good to be back, even though it is a bit cold and we're both shivering after that rainstorm. <laughs> but we've had some lovely hot Roybush tea, and um, I'm feeling a little bit warmer uh, than before. So that's. Um, that's all good. And um, we were talking about your um, your parents, I believe, before we were rudely interrupted by ne- Mother Nature. Well, never rudely interrupted by Mother Nature, but uh, <laughs> funnily interrupted. So running through the woods with uh, <laughs> a shawl over our heads in the pouring rain is quite fun. Um, all the better to see you with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where is the wolf? <laughs> um, so, I yeah, I think we were talking about parents. So anyway, they're hippies um, and that's where I how I grew up but the main thing is that I grew up uh, with a strong connection to esoteric when I was in India I started reading comic books I learned all about Indian religion mythology history um, so all of the, you know the gods and goddesses like uh, Ganesha or Shiva or Krishna I know them really well you know, they're second nature almost um, and the first book that I got on numerology I was 14 and then after that I got The Prophet by Khalil Gibran and then I got the I Ching to carry with me so I had these like little guides life guides or just have fun doing them so then I studied a few different types of numerology and I used to do the whole big chart, you know, 20 pages with your second name and your uh, birth name and then your married name and all of this stuff. Um, and then I found I did a course with a medium in southern Italy, uh, southern Switzerland on the border with Italy on the lake. And she had channeled and it was, you know, some Kabbalistic birth numerology, just anagraphic numerology, she calls it. Um, and there's some writing in it and just all different stuff. And it's just the birth date. And there's so much information that I don't even need to do any calculations anymore. I just do it right away. So it's totally integrated. And I've been doing that for about 10 years now. 11, maybe. 2006, I started. Yeah, almost 12. Um, and that's a lot of fun. So all I need is you to write down your, your, your birth date on a piece of paper. And then I can just cull lots of information from it. Um, and then sometimes I use tarot cards, too. So I made some tarot cards with showing how to explain the island a bit more. 
that's on one side. That's kind of just having fun, you know, just kind of see what comes out. I wanted to ask you before we continue about, because I remember discussing this with you at the polo after a couple of giggle waters um, about, you know, and I hadn't noticed it until somebody pointed it out about this like one, one, one business. Like when I pick up my phone and I'm doing something maybe for this podcast because this is a charity thing. And it was kind of like it's happened more, maybe because I've become more aware of it. But like, you know, what, you know, what is that? That sort of sacred numerology, that consistency, that kind of like timing thing that kind of brings you into a kind of like moment of, of now when you kind of see that. Is that anything specific? Is that a load of nonsense i mean people kind of talk about that you know it's a sign from the angels and that kind of stuff or is that just ibiza ibiza chit chat it's not only ibiza chit chat <laughs> you can find it everywhere i mean if you look up numbers or numerology or synchronicity on the web you'll find tons and tons of stuff um i like to think of it a, a bit of both okay so we're so connected to our phones and digital that we're always looking at it if it were just analog watches we wouldn't even notice it that much because you, you know unless it's like exactly at uh, you know 10 to 2 or something like that you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't really look at it you know or 10 past 10 kind of th- those kind of you you wouldn't you know oh it's exactly six on the dot you, you know you get the bells for that from the churches but now because we're so digital um you get you know 14 14 12 12 12 21 but you have yeah these sequences they're quite frequent during the day but that said when you haven't been looking at your watch or your phone for a while and you pick it up and it's 2222 on the 22nd of April, then that feels magical because um, you haven't been waiting for it to happen. You just pick it up and it's, oh, wow. So um, I was flying to Amsterdam to do a five-day um, alchemy course and pendulum thing just uh, in April. And I was at the airport and I said, like, okay, let me check the time. What, when am I boarding? And I look at it and it was 1818 on the 18th of April. So, oh, that feels really cool. So you kind of feel like a little sparkle of magic have landed on your shoulders and you're in synchronicity with nature and you're on the right path. So I say, okay, I'm in flow. If I pick it up and it says 1817, it's like, I'm slightly off. Maybe I'm a bit dehydrated. I should drink some water. That's the way I take it. So I take it as kind of like a little bit of magic in my daily life. I'm not going to make any life-changing decisions based on that. But the funny thing is on the last day of the course, I was talking about how I'm born and I've got three twos in my birth date, okay? And I was just saying that, and then I just picked up the, we were having dinner by the a canal in Amsterdam after the course, and I just picked up my phone, and it was 22-22 on the 22nd of April. That beer must have really hydrated <laughs> you. <laughs> but it just, the way I took it was like, I was meant to do this course, it felt right, it was not the right time, really, because April, I was already starting here with the restaurant and everything. And I said, no, I just need to go there for five days or four days and take this course and do it. Um, and I managed to do level one and level two condensed. And it was like, you know, 10 hours of pendulum spinning all day long and <laughs> information coming out of everywhere. But it was really, really fun and useful. And, uh, and it ties into other energy healing, distance healing uh, modalities that I've been studying for the last 15 years. So um, Reiki or, you know, kinesiology or Chinese medicine. So, so it all kind of like, it's a voyage of discovery. Um, and uh, basically there's, in astrology, there's a planet called Chiron or Chiron. And it's the archetype of the wounded healer. 
So when you have an issue, then you get involved, interested, curious about how to cure it. First, you go to other people and they see, can you cure me? Can you cure me? And in the end, like, man, they're doing operations on me. They're telling me to do things. Like, and in the end, my, I'm not getting any results. So that's okay. Stop. Let me figure it out by myself. Um, and that's kind of what my path is, um, just to sort myself out along the way. <laughs> Well, it's not not a bad path to be on, to be fair. I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't really understand how powerful we all are to heal ourselves. I mean, you know, obviously we go to, well, some people go to doctors and some people, you know, go to visit others to sort of get help with that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I think, you know, we are actually our most powerful healers and a lot of that stuff that we don't have the answer to, maybe externally you know that stuff is generally kind of on board and i think it's um it's interesting for me because i've never really um i've never actually been to a, i've never had a doctor here I've not been to a doctor in 5 years of living in ibiza and i do feel that this is probably one of the places i've flourished the most in all ways um so i think that's an interesting thing i mean is there anything specific that you feel that you've kind of um focused on specifically since you've gone on this healing journey in terms of the things you've learned or is there any kind of specific ailment or uh, you know psychological thing that you've kind of helped most people with here in Ibiza or is there anything you're focusing on with all of these wonderful skills that you've acquired well um, basically I got into the healing into studying first kinesiology because I was injured and they wanted to operate on my knee without they wanted to operate it to see if I was injured because the MRI scan didn't show anything apart from a little tear on my cartilage. So I was like, oh, wait. So then I tried osteopathy. I tried Chinese medicine. I tried atlas lugi, which is basically just do your atlas. And basically it came out that like my hips, hips were twisted. One leg was longer than the other one. There we go. A bit of thunder. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> epic. <laughs> we got some peacocks in the back there. Um, How beautiful. <laughs> Sorry. So, so then I came here and I went to Dr. Maria, who's in Santa Lalia, and she uses kinesiology as well as, as, uh, as uh, vitamin medicine, as you know, all the modern stuff, chelation for helping people through their arteries and stuff like that. There you go. <laughs> um, so basically what happened was that my wisdom tooth was pinching my nerve. So thanks to kinesiology, I didn't have a knee operation, but I just got my wisdom teeth taken out. So that fascinated me. When I went back to Switzerland and I, a, a little while later, a couple of years later, I came across a kinesiology course and I said, oh, cool. And it was a weekend that I had a pass weekend. I, there was uh, no work. So I did the first two-day course and then I did all of them, all of them. Uh, they're called Touch for Health and then Brain Gym and then, you know, Applied Kinesiology and stuff like that. So it's like I've been using and making decisions with my own testing you know, what to eat at a restaurant or, you know, should I do this, should I do that? Kind of, it helps. So, so having my own little testing method, pendulum also works or tarot cards or, you know, intuition or... Anyway, um, so when I did that, I was still playing football. So a lot of my teammates would be injured and I would do a session on them and like tell them, okay, take out your insoles from your shoes because those are the ones that are causing your back pain. They would do that and they would be better. Or one case, because uh, I also studied facial reflexology, Vietnamese style. We were warming up for an important game. And our, our main defender, he sprained his ankle in the warm-up. And so he's like, oh, my God, I can't. He could hardly walk. And I said, come here quickly. And I took out my little special pen. And I just massacred his face, his chin area, 
And he played the whole game. He, he didn't even have to do anything. And it wasn't even swollen afterwards. And he was like, looking, what did you do, man? And I was like, this is just a connection to, you know. Um, so on the football team, I had lots of results like that. You know, lots of, you know, quick things. The, the nice thing about, you know, let's say miracles, and I've got my little, uh, <laughs> what are they called? Bunny ears here? Little comma, comma fingers. Um, is if nothing happens, you don't know that a miracle has happened. You know, you only kind of like consider miracles to happen like, oh, you have a tumor and the doctors say that and it's in their scan and then you come back and it's not there anymore and that's a miracle. But maybe their first scan was wrong, you know. Maybe you never had it. Or maybe their second scan is wrong and often they will check and try and look for it. But um, there are lots of things, lots of little ways to uncover or unblock situations. Sometimes you're holding on to a relationship that you don't need to and, and by getting a, a session uh, and having a total clarity. And when I use kinesiology, I'm using your body muscles to get the answers. So it's like we're working on it together. I say, you know, this this one will go, and, and the, the question to that muscle is, who are you angry with? And Or what are you scared of? And then you, you realize, so you untangle yourself, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's how it can work together. And that helps a lot of people. Um, and I only work through word of mouth. I never put any advertising or anything like that. It's just word of mouth. So, so I, sometimes I have no clients, and then all of a sudden I've got like 10, and, and I'm running around from one place to the other um, treating people or having them come to me. Um, I'm not a... I don't know how to say it. I, I kind of feel like I'm playing with alchemy a little bit, playing with magic, and having fun with it. Um, and I think, well, why not give it a shot? You know, it's uh, maybe we can cure it together. It's never going to be me or the doctor. It's going to be you healing yourself. But maybe what I can do is I can just unblock something that is that is holding you back, which is maybe because you're still angry with your dad or, or with your ex or or uh, or you're scared. To, you don't know how you're going to survive this winter and you're projecting yourself into the future with fear, whereas you can start doing things right now about it. Um, I've had my own moments of total stress like this where like, <gasps> palpitations, what am I going to do? Um, and I have my own issues, you know, from a career in football. You know, my knee hurts a little bit. My hip sometimes is... Uh, uh, I need to a stretch bit it. <laughs> a bit cranky. A bit rusty. Creaky, <laughs> like the Tin Man. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that if, you know, if you have an accident, then you need to go to the doctors to get patched up. And at the end of the day, it's more about you feeling good then about a philosophy of no because you shouldn't eat that or you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't go to that doctor or you should never do that I think there's a combination of everything for your well-being is what the key is so whether um, it is having a, a medicine shamanistic moment where you can like break some kind of attachments to to, to concepts and that you, you feel better if that works for you fantastic and uh, I've had two operations on this eye um, and the first one worked really well but I healed so I wasn't supposed to heal because by healing, I made the thing worse. The second operation was a total disaster, and I still have problems with it. So, okay, leave that out of the way. I'm going to try alternative methods to do that. The funny thing is that before having the first operation, I had already done a lot of alternative stuff, and I couldn't de-click it, you know. So sometimes... What was going on with your eye? Um, internal eye pressure called glaucoma, mm-hmm. but just on one eye, so... None of the doctors could explain why I had it or where it came from, or um, you know, it could have been from from you know injuries, elbows from from the football career. But then they say, ah, no, that has nothing to do with it. So 
Um, I like to find out the cause of things. I like to find out the why. Most of the medicine is not focused on that. It's just focused on getting rid of whatever it is. So, so um, you know, I've, I've studied a lot of meta-medicine, awareness medicine, and it's kind of like every symptom is a message. Where, what is it trying to tell me? What, what's going on here? So, so that's my discovery. It's kind of interpreting a new language. So, so uh, it's exciting. It's interesting. Sometimes the results are fantastic. Sometimes you don't notice the results. You know, if you've got a shoulder pain and you come, oh man, my shoulder's really hurting. And I see you next week and I ask you, how's your shoulder? Is it what shoulder? Because once the pain is not there, you don't notice it anymore. You don't feel, you forget that you had it. So most people forget how bad your life was last week or last year. And we're frustrated because our life is not the way we want it to be. But we also have to look with perspective at where were we a year ago, a week ago, 10 years ago, five years ago? Um, you said you've come to Ibiza and you've flourished. This is, but at a previous time, perhaps you were more successful economically or in status or whatever. <laughs> but right now you have got glowing skin, you know, you look beautiful and healthy and, uh, you know, you don't look almost 50, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> I'd say a very rude word right now if it went on air, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> you look great for 90, actually. I was just thinking that as well. Thank you. That Zimmer frame parked around the corner. <laughs> oh, All that kinesiology is working out rather well for you. My lithium battery little cart there. <laughs> we could just have a right old mudslinging match right now, couldn't we? Um, as the sun comes out. Indeed, indeed. And I think, you know, these ailments are obviously sent to try us. And, you know, for me... I think India is my biggest teacher in that department because when I've had these like chronic and mental crazy illnesses that have kind of cropped up as a result of something I've picked up like a bug or a germ or whatever and you know never have I felt more grateful um obviously at the time I'm like wailing in bed and shaking and I've been to hospitals and been on drips and you know some really nasty things have um taken hold of me and at the time you just feel like why me blah 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 all of that stuff that goes on in your head but in the aftermath I mean Christ I'll never forget after one of one of the really nasty ones and just that you know gratefulness for being so unbelievably healthy that you know most of us wander around with all this crap in our head like wondering you know about the most trivial load of old rubbish but actually we're never really just grateful for how healthy our bodies are and actually you know it does take sometimes some extreme calamity like that to come out the other side and feel well to just be like so happy that we're just feeling good all the time yet we don't really notice it so that's my thoughts on on that whole topic in in some ways that um actually you know we are just really really lucky to have everything we've got and um and to be in the body that we're in and you know most of us particularly women wandering around you know moaning and complaining about how fat we are or how ugly we are or comparing and contrasting and actually you know what we've got right now is never going to be as good as it is right now we're going to be older and saggier and more south tomorrow and actually you just need to just love what you've got all day long in every given moment that's um Anyway, that's my little rant for today. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Maybe we should wrap it up there potentially, but um, it's been lovely to have you on the show. And um, I guess, is there a place where people can come and find out more about you other than just um, eating beautiful sushi and drinking fabulous cocktails and um, looking rather spectacular sitting at your wonderful bar? Um, I guess uh, I don't have a website. No. I... I um I don't know what to put on the website, to be honest. I, I don't know how to explain 
what I do. Maybe you can help me with that. Maybe I will. Um, normally, people just get my phone number from somebody that has had a treatment with me um, or ask mm -hmm. me directly um, at the restaurant or sometimes I am found at some beach or some cafe or at some event <laughs> by serendipitous <laughs> just luck. Um, sometimes I am at the Azaro Spirit Festival or the... Or the um, I don't even know what they call it. Is it the Spirit Festival? Um, yeah, I'm around in different places. But uh, I'm thinking about starting a website, but I haven't, uh, haven't done it yet. Interesting. Well, that's kind of, you know, it's the best way to grow organically on this. I call it exploding all over the island. When someone comes here and, like, throws this whacking great big idea or new business concept or, you know, new healing, uh, you know, therapy or whatever it is and splashes it around here there and everywhere and those things never last and word of mouth and organic kind of you know um, acknowledgement is definitely the way forward so that's great um, but there is also <laughs> this modern technology thing that's definitely lacking somewhere in that department so anyway I mean people can obviously email us on um, just the good news please at gmail.com and this is a sort of like a charity podcast and it is all about the spirit of giving back to Ibiza and the island that's obviously supported us and nurtured us and nourished us as well so is there something perhaps one of these treatments that you might like to as all of our previous interviewees that I possibly haven't mentioned to you yet would like to potentially sort of throw out there for someone that maybe can't usually I mean you've said that you do do treatments already for free for people that maybe can't afford them so I don't know if maybe that might be something that we could potentially throw into the pot I shall leave that to you to decide absolutely you can give uh, three free treatments to uh, anybody that you like Wonderful. That's very, very kind of you. People could get in touch and um, check out the ResetRebel.com website where we have lots of other wonderful um, gifts and, um, yeah, things to give away. Then um, I shall add your wonderful offering into the mix. And it's been an absolute pleasure to hear all of your wonderful story and your childhood and um, be taken into the forest. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> been <laughs> and a rained pleasure. on. <laughs> it's been a pleasure <laughs> dragging you through my past and the woods. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. And uh, one last little thing is that most of the time we heal when we stop and rest and just relax and reset. So thank you. Thank you. It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel